Great. So that is my very dear, very uh, handsome colleague, Matt. How many of you have ever met Matt before? Okay. Yeah. How many of you have heard of the ping pongathon? I think you guys have been. Yeah. Okay. Great. I think you all have been ponging for the last, I think, ten years, which is incredible. Uh, so Matt works with Ping Pongathon. They are an organization based here in Australia who works with churches and schools and kind of mobilizes people in Australia, in in the U.S. as well, in the fight against uh, human trafficking and modern day slavery. Uh, you play ping pong, you raise awareness, you raise funds, and those funds go to eight different charity partners uh, that we prayed for this morning. One of those is the Freedom Story, where I work, which is working in northern Thailand, uh, and that I'm going to share a little bit about today. It's so uh, fun to be here with you. I'm so thankful for you having me this morning when we were praying or singing the line, uh, you know, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That's something that we say in Thailand in church. Uh, and so if you don't mind, I'd love to like have a bit of interaction. So I will say God is good all the time. And then you say back to me all the time, God is good. So should we practice together? God is good all the time. Amazing. Thank you so much. And isn't that true? God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Lucy. Uh, I work with the Freedom Story in Northern Thailand, and I've been living out in Thailand for eight years. Uh, I'm not from Thailand originally. I'm also not from Australia originally. Uh, I grew up in the U.S. I also grew up in London a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've been living out in Thailand for the last eight years. Uh, I heard about trafficking as a teenager and uh, was just totally moved and really horrified to learn that this was something that was happening in our world, that there were young people and children facing these uh, horrible situations and felt very clearly that kind of God was calling me to to do something against trafficking and slavery with my uh, my career. And that's kind of what I've been doing for the last eight years. So what is human trafficking? Uh, human trafficking, the textbook definition would be that it is the sale of human beings through force, fraud, or coercion against their will. Um, it's a worldwide phenomenon. It happens in every country in the world, including here in Australia. And there's an estimated 50 million people that are currently living in conditions of modern-day slavery or human trafficking. So huge numbers of people, roughly twice the population of Australia, uh, that are currently in these conditions. And about one in four are children. So it's a really difficult thing for us to wrap our mind around. It's a really horrible uh, thing that's happening in the world. Uh, but if you will allow me today, I would love to share a little bit about one of the families that we work with in particular, one of the families that, to be honest, you all have really been impacting through your ponging because you've been ponging for 10 years Pong has been around for 12 years, and we are Pong's kind of founding partner. We are the first partner that Pong has had. So uh, I've been teaching or speaking at different schools and churches over the last week, and uh, I think you all are the or the group that's been Ponging the longest that we've spoken to. So that was really encouraging for me to hear, and I actually feel very connected to you because you've been Ponging for so long, and we've been partnered with Pong for so long. So this is one of the families that we work with. Uh, this over here in the green, in the green shirt in the corner, is Arpa. This is the mom. Uh, in the black shirt, that's Prita. And in the yellow shirt here is her sister, Ying. 
Uh, the blue shirt is my colleague Ning, who is a very good friend of mine, and then that's me there in the blue uh, shirt on the side. Uh, so the girls are part of our program. They've been part of our program for the last six or seven years, uh, but their story really begins with their mom. So the whole family are members of an ethnic minority group in Thailand that's really excluded and discriminated against. They're kind of very much considered the lower parts of society. It's hard for them to get jobs or really be kind of integrated into society. And when Arpa was growing up, she was one of many children. It's quite common in Thailand to have many kids. It's uh, your children are your retirement plan. Your children take care of you when you're old. My uh, colleagues ask me how much money I send my parents every month and are completely horrified when I tell them that my parents only recently stopped sending me money every month. <laughs> um, so very much uh, family-oriented. You take care of your parents. You uh, give to them financially. You would sacrifice for your younger siblings, especially girls, especially the oldest girl. Uh, so when Arpa was growing up, she uh, wanted to stay in school. She enjoyed studying, but the costs of the education were too high for her family to keep her in school. So in Thailand, they'll tell you that education is free, but you have to pay for uniforms, books, transportation, lunch. If your child happens to have air conditioning in their classroom, happens to have a foreign teacher, those are all extra things that you have to pay for. And so the costs add up really quickly, especially if you do have multiple children, especially if you are living in poverty, as Arpa was when she was growing up. So at the age of 10, she dropped out of school. Her two older brothers had already dropped out of school. And when somebody in her village approaches her and says, I have this great job for you, you can move to Bangkok, work as a maid in my hotel and save money and send money to your family, it seemed like a really great op uh, opportunity for her to be able to care for her parents, care for her siblings, and make more money than she could make living in Chiang Rai. So she moves to Bangkok and takes the opportunity but unfortunately, it's not what she was promised. She ends up trafficked into Thailand's sex industry and is wor uh, works in that area for many years, forced to do terrible, horrible things uh, until she's eventually able to escape. But she comes back to Chiang Rai, where she lives, but uh, she obviously has a huge amount of trauma, huge uh, physical challenges that will kind of follow her for her whole life and make it very hard for her to work. Uh, and have kind of impacted her life from that point forward. Uh, can we have the next? And then again. Her brothers, who have dropped out of school already, are offered jobs on a fishing boat in Thailand. So where I live uh, is in the north of Thailand. It's very mountainous. And to get down to the coast takes 12, 12 or 14 hours. So they're offered these jobs on fishing boats and told that they'd be able to make money and support their families. Again, seems like a great opportunity. Seems like a good chance for them to be able to make some money. They take these jobs and are on a boat just like this. And uh, the thing about Thailand's fishing industry is it's incredibly violent. And uh, when you get to the point where you're on these boats, you are very much at the mercy and kind of under the control of the boat captain. So one of her brothers is offshore on a boat like this for six months before he comes back to shore. And men, it's almost always men in these situations, work 14, 18, 20 hours a day. They're often given drugs to help them work more. Uh, and when they inevitably become sick or injured, they can't work anymore. It's actually 
cheaper and easier for them to just be thrown overboard to die than it is for them to be healed or to be taken care of. That's how kind of replaceable people are in this industry. So her two older brothers are in this situation, eventually escape and make their way back to Chiang Rai. But uh, at that time, 20 or 30 years ago, there were no kind of aftercare organizations, no counseling, no trauma-informed support for people who had experienced these things. And one of her brothers eventually ends up losing his life. So this is a family that is very much under this, almost this generational curse of poverty and trafficking and is really struggling to survive. And when we met Arpa, she had come back to Chiang Rai. She'd gotten married. She'd had her two daughters. She was struggling to get by, living in poverty, struggling to overcome kind of the trauma that she had experienced. Um, She ends up splitting up with her husband and is now a single mom of the two girls. So when we met them, they were living on around 120 Australian dollars a month, so very low levels of income, not a lot of margin or safety for them, and really struggling to get by. She wanted to keep the girls in school. She never wanted them to experience what she had experienced, but she also knew that she just didn't have the money or the means to keep them in school or to keep them safe. So this is their house. You can see just kind of like a basic structure, um, and this is where they were living when we met them. Uh, That's where Freedom Story comes in and where you all come in through the Pong, but I'd love to talk very quickly about what I see as kind of the Christian's role in trafficking and fighting slavery. So uh, in Isaiah 61, and then Jesus quotes it at the beginning of his ministry in Luke 4, he really talks about God's anointing on him to set the captives free to release people from slavery and from bondage. And of course, he's talking there about our slavery to sin and how he set us free from that. But he's also talking about, you know, all of us being anointed to set captives free, to care for the widow and the orphan. And and this morning, uh, when I was listening to your prayer for your different mission and partners, I was really struck by how many different things you're involved in as a church and the good work that you all are doing helping orphans and widows and children around the world. And I had prepared this previously, but actually feel like this morning uh, there's another passage that God was really putting on my heart, which is uh, Exodus 3, when Moses encounters the burning bush. The Lord says to him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." A passage I think many of us who are believers or maybe have grown up in the church have studied in Sunday school or you've maybe studied at different times, but there's various different things in this passage that really speak to me. Uh, The first one is that God hears the cry of the people that are in slavery. As we are praying to them, as they are praying to him, uh, he's not, you know, cold or unhearing or detached. He hears them. And he is moved to do something about them. And so he says, I have come down to rescue them. So he is taking action. 
And then the final thing that really touches me, the last, uh, the last verse, uh, God says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God could have just reached his hand down and brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but instead he sends Moses, and I think he sends all of us to do his good work on behalf of him and to really set people free and to go into these situations to rescue people like Arpa and her brothers and her two daughters. And uh, that's just uh, something that I think I kind of wanted to share with you all. So when we met Prita and Ying, Arpa's two daughters, we saw that they were incredibly at risk of experiencing the same things that her mother had experienced. But we wanted to provide an opportunity for them to stay in school and to go on and do bigger and better and and more hopeful things. So we saw that low levels of education and poverty, uh, social isolation, being girls, being members of those ethnic minority groups were very likely going to put them in a situation of exploitation. 68% of the kids in our scholarship program have had someone in their family, a parent or a sibling, who has been a member of, uh, who has been a victim of trafficking. So that's a huge percentage of the kids we work with. Where I live and where I work, it's very much kind of a source of trafficking for many of the different uh, industries in Thailand. 90% of the kids in our program are living on less than $2 per day. So very low levels of of income, very much kind of living in poverty. And for the parents of the students that we work with, the children that we work with, about a quarter never had the opportunity to go to school. And a further 50% only got the chance to go to some of primary school, just like ARPA. She only was able to finish until about year four. So the Freedom Story opened uh, around 15 years ago because we saw that there was this group of children that were desperately in need of support to overcome these kinds of generational curses, that this kind of uh, generational cycle of trafficking that we see that happens in northern Thailand. So our mission is to prevent child trafficking and exploitation, to intervene in the lives of these children and young people to ensure that they never experience trafficking and that instead they're actually able to follow their dreams and become whatever it is that God might have called them to be. So you might be wondering, how do you, how do, you do that? It sounds very hopeless and a bit complex. Um, it is a bit complex. It's not hopeless. <laughs> so we have an education program. So we saw that Prita and Ying wanted to stay in school. So we provide them with a monthly scholarship to help them stay in school, around $70 each, so $140 altogether. So if you remember, I said they were living on $120. We give them the $140 that they need just to stay in school. So without us and without you all, they really would not have been able to continue on in their education. They just didn't have the means. We also do a lot of mentorship. So if any of you work with young people or have young people in your lives, you know how important it is to really come alongside them to make sure they know that they have an adult in their life that they can talk to. So we visit them at home. We visit them at school. We talk to their teachers. One of my favorite uh, things that we do is every year we... Uh, In March, which is when the kids have their school year end, we go to each child's graduation. And we show up, we've got a gift, we've got a card, we're cheering. Sometimes we're the only person that's there for that child. But we want them to know that we are so proud of them and all the hard work that they've put in to get to that point. And that they have people that are cheering for them and that love them and that are really on their side. 
We also have a resource center where kids come after school and on Saturdays when their parents are working to spend time with our staff, help with homework, get on the computer, do uh, kind of educational development things, sometimes just make brownies together. Again, if you've ever kind of worked with young people, sometimes you know those deep kind of trusting conversations come when you're making brownies. It's not just about, you know, sit down and not tell me about your day. It's, it's kind of doing some, some fun and, and, and uh, educational things together. We also have a human rights program. So we see that people in Northern Thailand really uh, don't know what trafficking is. They don't know what their rights are. They don't know what the laws around trafficking are. And it's so, it's so easy for them to be taken advantage of. So this is Prita, and she's one of our youth leaders, actually. So she helps to reach out to her peers, helps to talk to her friends, and talk to her uh, kind of age group about what is trafficking, good touch, bad touch, healthy relationships, who you should trust, uh, to ensure that they really have the awareness they need to help themselves be safe. And then finally, knowing that poverty is such a driver of trafficking, we come alongside ARPA and say, you know, it's so hard for you to have a job. It's hard for you to stay, you know, in employment so that you have regular income. But what can you do? And we have helped her to start a very small business out of her home. So she raises chickens and she plants vegetables and she's able to sell those in the local community so that she has some independence and also has some income and is able to kind of use her time well. We've been working for 15 years, and one of the things that we're really proud of is just how we're very evidence-based in what we do. We use research and, you know, the established kind of literature around trafficking to help us inform our programs. And then we also have had over 400 young people in our program, so 400 people like Prita and Ying that we have worked with over the last 15 years. And Pong has been one of our really key partners uh, over the last 12 years, they've been our biggest supporter, uh, and it has really just allowed us to continue to show up faithfully over the last 12 years to make sure that we can work with young people in the way that they need to overcome their risk and their vulnerability. We could skip ahead two slides, I think. Ah, and again. So this is Ying now. Uh, she just graduated from high school this year. So we met her when she was 12, and she's 19 now. She did a work-study program for high school, so she's currently working at 7-Eleven, fulfilling the work portion of that program. And then this is Prita today. Uh, she turned 17 on Thursday, so I sent her a message on Thursday to wish her happy birthday. She is in her second to last year of high school. She's doing a work, uh, or no, her sister did the work-study program. She's doing a math science program, and she wants to be a doctor, or at least she did last time I talked to her. <laughs> and, you know, not every kid can be a doctor, but uh, if she wants to, she's really smart enough and bright enough to do that if that's what she decides she wants to do. Um, and when Matt and David came out last year, they, they came out to visit us and the part, other partners. We brought them to visit the kids at home and we took them on a bit of a tour and then at the end of the second day we opened up an opportunity for anyone who wanted to say something to share and Prita popped up immediately and we hadn't even we hadn't like you know we don't force anybody to say anything um, and she said uh, tears streaming down her face just how incredibly thankful she was for the opportunity that she's been given she knows her mom's story she knows her background you know, she knows how 
much these opportunities and these cho- and these chances really mean to her and to her sister. Uh, and she actually very insistently told Matt, and he would say this if he was here, to thank Australians for what they've done for her and her sister. And so I would love on behalf of Prita just to say thank you for your faithfulness in Ponging and your faithfulness in giving and in raising awareness and in fighting slavery. Just as God sent Moses to set captives free, that's 100% what you have done for Prita and her sister. You have changed uh, what is really this generational curse. And so instead of these girls being trafficked or experiencing exploitation and trauma, they will never be trafficked. And what's really incredible is we know that their children will also not be trafficked. So if you work as a teacher or a social worker, maybe some of you are doctors, you know, uh, any of us really, we impact so many lives in the way that we live, right? So who you work with, who you interact with, particularly if you're in a caring kind of profession. So if Prita goes on to be a doctor, she might impact thousands or tens of thousands of people through her work. And uh, you have really made that impact possible by coming alongside her and allowing her to live a life of freedom and opportunity. Um, I'll finish just by sharing this photo one more time. Oh, sorry, back one more. Um, This was at the end of a very long, hot day. It's kind of cold today, but I think it gets hot here in Perth sometimes. Is that right? That's what I've been told. (laughs) It's my first time. And uh, I thought about skipping coming to their house just because I was hot, I was tired, I kind of just wanted to go home and sit under the air conditioner. (laughs) Um, And what you don't see in this photo is that Prita and I are talking about uh, our joint experience of uh, both losing our grandmothers. So when I was growing up, we moved a lot and I lived with my mom's mom, my grandmother, at various different times in my life. And Prita lived with her grandmother as well when she was growing up. And we actually both lost our grandmothers in the same year. And so we were sitting together and talking about this and talking about, you know, how it's very sad to lose somebody that you love. But as believers, we both have the joint hope that we will see them again and that they're in a better place. Uh, And that was, yeah, one of my favorite memories of the last eight years, to be honest, is happening as this picture is being taken. And so I share that just to say that I think it's really easy to perhaps feel disconnected from the work that you're doing with Pong, to think about 50 million people and feel very overwhelmed. And and it's very impossible for us to wrap our mind around what each of those individual people actually are. And there are people like Prita and Yang and Arpa. There are people who have the same experiences many of us have, people who have lost people that we love, people who have joys and struggles in our day-to-day life. And the impact that you are making through Pong is really changing their lives and changing generations in Southeast Asia. So, And in Australia now, too. So thank you so much for your time, and thank you for having us today. Thanks, Lucy. Um, thought we'd have a bit of Q&A. Does anyone have any questions? I can pass the mic to you if you need it. So, so what about university? Yeah, what about university? That's a great question. We, um, because we've been open for 15 years, we have seen children go through university. So we have now had some of our very first cohort of students are about 
some of them are about 25, 26. So they're working as teachers, social workers, lawyers, farmers, business owners. So we've really seen them come through. For Freedom Story, we will support children through university where they need it, or we'll get them through the first year of university, get them set up with a student loan, and kind of support them in that way. And then we always follow up with mentorship. So our staff, even after students have left the program, uh, often get phone calls about all kinds of things, fights with the parents, struggles with a relationship, all kinds of things. So there is that ongoing support as well. Um, what would you say is the, so the sort of the biggest need for the Freedom Story at the moment? That's a great question. We, uh, in the last year, have started to use our 15 years of lessons learned and experience to start equipping other groups to prevent trafficking. So working with churches, uh, teacher unions, kind of small community-based organizations to equip them to protect children in their community. This is a really new way of working for us. So... Uh, we need a lot of prayers for wisdom, uh, for discernment. Uh, we're also hiring. Uh, I am the CEO, and I normally work with a country director in Thailand, and that position is currently vacant. So we're hiring for that position, so I'd very much appreciate prayers for the right candidate and discernment in that process as well. Um. Uh, question, um, can you tell us about a time when you've seen God working specifically in circumstance? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian family and really kind of became a Christian as a teenager. And I thought that I knew what it meant to be a believer uh, before I moved overseas. And uh, there is nothing like uh, being out of your comfort zone and being uncomfortable and uh, being pretty helpless to help you rely on God. So... Um, about last November, I was in the U.S. doing some fundraising and meeting with some of our supporters. And uh, one of my coworkers sent me a message and said, you know, let me know if you have some time to talk. She was in Thailand. And I said, yeah, no worries. It's like not usually good news if someone is like reaching out out of the blue. So I said, go ahead and give me a call. So she gives me a call. And um, Thai people are amazing, but they're incredibly indirect. So she spends about 10 minutes asking me how I'm doing and what did I have for breakfast and all these other questions. And I'm sitting there sort of thinking, oh, yeah, okay, what do, we, what do, you, what do you need? Um, and eventually she tells me that one of our students had run away. So Mintra was about 12 years old, living with her grandparents because her mom was actually in prison for being a trafficker in the community. And she had met a 21-year-old man who developed a relationship with her and wanted her to run away with him. And she had. And she had really covered her tracks so well. So deleted all her messages from her phone. We didn't know where she was. Just up and disappeared in the middle of the night. And her grandparents, unfortunately, didn't come to us for about a week. So she'd already been missing for a week. So... Jane, my coworker, says to me, you know, Mintra's missing. And I know I, we work with 120 kids right now. I don't know all of them, you know, by name, but I do actually know Mintra. And so I uh, was pretty devastated. And uh, immediately we started praying. We put out kind of missing child posters. We talked to the police. We tried to talk to her teachers, anyone who might know anything, her friends, anyone who might know anything about where Mintra was. Uh, and we kept kind of posting and asking if anyone had seen her. 
Weeks went by and we hadn't heard anything. We hadn't seen her. I'm contacting, still in contact with Jane, my colleague. And, you know, eventually Jane said to me, Lucy, you're going to need to kind of prepare yourself. We really don't know how this is going to go. We don't know if she's alive. Uh, and we don't know, you know, what, what might come out of it. And so my prayer at that point was really like, God, just let us know, let us know something about her. Let us know how she is or where she is, or, you know, if something happened, at, at least give us some closure. And, uh, about six weeks in, so we're really losing a lot of hope at this, at this point. Uh, unbelievably, another of the students in our program saw her at a gas station. And so they saw her at a gas station. They knew her from the programs that we've been running. They saw the posters that we'd been putting out and they called our staff and they called the police and we were able to pick her up and take her to a safe place. And she's now reunited with her parents and back in school and kind of getting the counseling and the support that she needs. But that was a very clear example just six, seven months ago that I kind of experienced. Any other question? Hello? Nope. Yep. Sorry, this is a hard question, but it's um, one of the hard realities of this is that a lot of the supply, demand side for these problems comes from Australian tourists. Mm. Um, does your organisations or other organisations have tools or resources of how we can combat that? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. That's a, a really difficult question. Uh, a lot of trafficking uh, over the last five or 10 years has, has changed. So a lot of it used to be in person and especially with the pandemic, a lot of trafficking has moved online. So kind of what we call kind of online child sexual abuse material, videos and photos and things. Um, and the research shows that uh, Australians are sort of the top three consumers of this type of content. Um, and so it is, it's very difficult um, to kind of wrap our minds around. One of the things that I love about Pong is that they have partners that work in a really wide variety of areas. So we focus on prevention and education. They have partners that work in aftercare and kind of rescuing children. So if you are able to come this evening, you'll get to hear from my friend Panya, who works in Cambodia in this area. And then they're also working on kind of systemic, they have partners that are working on systemic legal change. So I used to work with uh, IJM, their partner that works in this area. And the model really is to hold perpetrators accountable for what they do. So when Australians or Americans or Brits or locals abuse or exploit children in Thailand, to use the laws that are already on the books in these countries to hold people accountable. And as I'm sure you can imagine, you do not want to go to prison in Thailand. <laughs> and you particularly don't want to go to prison as a child abuser. Uh, and so they work with lawyers and justice systems in Thailand to really uh, hold perpetrators accountable and show that if you come to Thailand to abuse children, you will be held accountable. Um, and that's true for the online things as well. I know that IJM has worked with the Australian uh, Federal Police on multiple cases to track people online and be able to kind of hold perpetrators accountable in Australia as well. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, a uh, question is about children and a lot of the children not being Christian and kind of what happens. So Thailand is 98% non-Christian, uh, overwhelmingly uh, Buddhist uh, country. 
And um, it plays quite a big part in a lot of their culture and a lot of their practices. Um, so we are a faith-based organization, and we are able to really show tangibly God's love for these young people in the way that we care for them, in the way that we mentor them and, and come alongside them. And I will say also, it's been it's been so interesting to work with local people. So we have I have coworkers that are believers and coworkers that are Buddhists, and we're very open as an organization. And it's been really amazing to come alongside even my colleagues and talk about why I moved halfway across the world to come and, and be with them and, and work alongside them in Thailand and the love that God has given me for other people uh, and to kind of watch that impact them and, and change their lives and change the lives of, of the kids that we work with as well. Yeah. Any other questions? If not, then I'll pass over to Pastor Sarah. <laughs> 